Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us each and every Friday. So we uh, we are so excited today to be joined by Bree Johnson, who is a student at Edmond Santa Fe. Uh, Bree, good morning. Good morning. So uh, we wanted to talk to you today about something that is uh, deeply personal um, uh, about the pandemic. Now you have a, a disorder SMA, a disease SMA, um, can and you've decided to be virtual this year. Yes. So talk to us about sort of that thought process of going from going back to school and then saying, wait a minute, I can't. Tell us about that process. Before school started, I had been fully vaccinated. So we thought it would be safe to go back in again Mm -hmm. and at least, you know, try the whole thing out. Yeah. You know, I was wearing my mask and everything, but uh, when I got there, it seemed as if barely anyone was wearing their mask. Mm. The halls are packed, lunchrooms are packed, classes are packed. In one of my classes, there are over 70 students. Barely any of them wear their masks. Oh my word. Wow. Like vocal music class. So everyone has to like have their mouth open and they're singing and projecting (laughs) their voice. So you feel like that's the class you need your masks on the most. Yeah, yeah. But then like three days later, the third day of school, we got an email that said I had been exposed to someone who had COVID, who tested positive for COVID in one of my classes. And so I did the whole quarantine thing and I was just thinking, how many quarantines is it gonna take for people to realize that this isn't a joke anymore and that they can't keep doing this over and over again. Yeah. So I just figured it was the safest and best option for not only my learning, but for my health and my family's health. So tell us a little bit about spinal muscular atrophy. What, um, what is it? Or, and it's a disease that you're born with, correct? Can you kind of give us a, a picture of what that looks like in your regular life? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a rare like gene, genetic mutation that happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was diagnosed at 15 months. They had a hard time figuring out what it was. No one had any idea. And we went to the doctor one time. We did a bunch of x-rays, which wasn't really like the problem or anything. Right. It wasn't my bones or anything. They were perfectly fine at that time. Yeah. And he got like kind of an attitude about it. And so my mom stood me up, tried to stand me up on the table. And I just, I couldn't. I was like jello or put it flopping everywhere. Yeah. And so he kind of like calmed down and he sent us to a neurologist. Mm-hmm. And they did some blood tests and they said it's either something else or it's SMA. And whatever you do, don't go home and don't Google it. Oh, don't Google it. That's scary. Yeah, that was the first thing they did. Of course. That's what I would have done. Even more. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they diagnosed me at 15 months because before that I was talking, walking, crawling, everything a baby would do, you know, meeting yeah. all those milestones earlier even than other kids would Mm. and then you know I just stopped at 15 months and they had no clue what was going on so that's how we got my diagnosis 
And my life expectancy at the time was 25, 24 months. Oh my gosh. That's really scary. Yes, you're a high school yes. student now. So there's there are treatments that can yes. help. Okay. So, yeah. so what do you, go ahead. Yeah, there are treatments now, but at the time when I was diagnosed in those earlier yeah. years, it was so rare, it still is kind of rare, right. that people would have it. And because of it, this disease, I don't have the protein produced for my muscles that makes me be able to just walk or stand or yeah. crawl or lift my arms up. And yeah. it also weakens my immune system because I don't have, I don't have the lung capacity to cough out any mucus or you know, help my body recover when I have some like infectious disease in my lungs or anything. Yeah, really. that's scary. Yeah, Bree, um, talking today and how COVID ha and the pandemic has affected um, everyone, but especially our students with disabilities, whether those disabilities are visible or invisible. Um, talk to us a little bit about what we have, are we paying attention to that or have we I lost really, sight of it? I really don't think anybody who hasn't had direct contact with someone who is special needs or has, you know, some sort of immune deficiency really mm -hmm. even thinks about or considers those people that they're hurting, you know, without getting vaccinated or without wearing a mask or without not going out when they don't have to or going out somewhere it's outside and doesn't have a lot of people there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's hard to, cause we've been as safe as we can on our own. And, but this is the time when you have to rely on others around you and just trust in humanity. Man, so that just warms my heart to hear you say that because we do, we have to, this is a team effort at this point. We have got yeah. to do, and I'm so relieved that you are vaccinated. That is wonderful. Um, how, was it disappointing? Was it frustrating? How, how did, how did that feel whenever you had to go virtual? Because I know, I mean, like choir, like yeah. vocal music, that's something that you do together. How, how was, yeah. How did, how, how was that transition for you? How's it been? Um, I prefer the work in virtual, Yeah. but, um, socially, emotionally, it's a lot harder. Last yeah. year when I was all virtual. I pretty much lost all my friends. I, I don't know, probably have like a mental breakdown every couple of weeks, every yeah. week of that, just crying. And it's been easier this time around because, you know, I've already gone through this before. Yeah. So there's not much more I can, you know, lose or do about it. But it was really, I was more so relieved to be at home again. Mm -hmm. Not just because I got used to that, used to that routine, but also because I was safer and my family was safer that yeah. way going in. Every, um, you know, we're 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 looking at this as a whole, and I see so many times, you know, the the last place you want to be looking is on Facebook sometimes. But you you see get the off of there, Catherine. See, I know <laughs> you, see, you see the comments a lot. Well, yeah. if you if you don't if you don't feel safe, then, then be at yeah. home. But you have pointed out to us, we know the importance of face-to-face -face learning yeah. and it is about equity. And you said it the best the other day, a, a minute ago, when you're talking about it, it's the good of the whole, it's about the humanity of everyone. If 
how, how do you help others? You, you are such a great advocate. How do you help others find their voice to be able to advocate, to, to have opportunities equitably as everyone else? I think it's a lot about leading by example. Um, there are many families that, you know, come to us and ask us for help in different things that they need, like equipment or whatever. They have a question and we answer it because, you know, that's what you do when you're in this position. You have to help everybody you can because the things that we've had to go through and struggle with is not something that we want everyone else to go through and struggle with. It's something that you've already done it. You don't want someone else to have to go through that. You want to stop the heart of as many people you can and just protect everybody. So wearing a mask. Yes. So what, what message would you have for people? You know, you mentioned a minute ago, you know, unless you have like this one-on-one contact and you have someone in your life who has special needs that sometimes people don't even think that they don't even, it doesn't even occur to them. So what do you, what's your message for the community as a whole, including people who might not know someone who has uh, physical needs? Those who are doing their part, thank you very much. It's, you know, very, very reassuring. And to those who aren't wearing their mask or getting vaccinated, do you really want to live with the guilt of hurting those who can't care for themselves, who can't who can't, um, who can't do, you know, who can't stay at home all of the time. You know, many times we have to go into the hospital, those of us with immune deficiencies or those of us who have to go to the doctor's appointments, those of us who have to go in and get treatments. And there are all these people there who don't wear their masks because they've, and because they've gotten COVID, they're overfilling the hall, the, the hospitals. And so the risk of going in and getting COVID in the hospital is very high, but that's not something you can just avoid. You right. have to go. And it's not just, oh, we'll stay in your home because the people around you who aren't as immune deficiency, who go out and they have to you know, get the groceries or pick up your perfectly healthy sibling or parent from work, they're also coming home with or could come home with COVID or some, you know, they could they could get their kid or parent or sibling or family member sick. Mm-hmm. And they would, you know, they would live with that guilt when really what else can they do? They right. have to rely on those people they're around right. to do it because it is inherently selfish not to get uh, vaccinated or to wear a mask. At least do one. Well, we are, we are so grateful for your advocacy um, and we want to do something fun because this has been a very serious conversation. So Catherine and I have lightning round questions for you. All right. Are you ready? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll start. Okay. Instagram or TikTok? TikTok. Favorite band or singer? Um, I would have to say either... Mother, Mother, or the Front Bottoms, which are like punk bands. <laughs> One food you could eat every day for the rest of your life. Potatoes. Any <laughs> potato. Do you have a lucky number? 13 multiples of three. 
<laughs> what makes you laugh every time? Something that cracks you up every time? Myself. I love it. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Both. Oh. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. Favorite class? Music. Anything music. Favorite teacher of all time? Okay. Uh, I'd have to say my drama teacher from middle school. Awesome. Miss Burkhart. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you again, Bree, for taking the time to visit with us. And thank you for advocating for yourself and others. We really appreciate it. Of course. It's super important. Why wouldn't I? Well, we are so honored to um, have Dr. Kathy Dodd with us today. Dr. Dodd, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, um, and for those of you who might not know, Dr. Dodd is the Chief Innovation Officer and Deputy Superintendent of Federal Programs for the State Department of Ed. And uh, we're wanting to visit today about um, some federal money that's come in to help schools with COVID testing. Um, can you give us a look at how much, how much the state has and kind of what it can be used for? Absolutely. Well, we are excited to be a partner in this grant. It, the funding is coming from the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, and the grant was actually administered to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. Mm -hmm. And so we are partnering with them in order to work directly with schools to take those incredible resources, to be proactive in the COVID testing approach, to try to keep students in school, keep staff well, keep mm -hmm. students well, and offer free COVID testing and free PPE, and then additional district grants that allow schools to put the staff and systems and infrastructure in place to keep their students safe and to keep their students healthy, not only this year, but potentially with some of the more substantial purchases, even in years to come. Yep. Excuse me, Dr. Dodge, you talked a little bit about the testing and and I, I don't know if there's been some confusion over that, if it's had to be random testing, you opt in. Talk, tell us a little bit about how schools that are involved in this, what that would look like in their, their district. Sure. So initially, in some of the information that was put out at the beginning of the grant, it contained the word random. And the way the health department intended that to be is that we weren't just testing sick students. Random was supposed to be more of a surveillance testing. We didn't use that term, but in fact, it's not random in the way that people might think we're rostering students in alphabetical order and yeah. making every 10th student take the test. Yeah. This is an opt-in test. Parents have to agree and want their child to be tested, but it can also be done in ways that help mitigate the spread of COVID in environments where wearing a mask may not be feasible. One of the suggestions mm. that we've given to schools is to start maybe with your secondary activities that are happening in the fall that cause for students to be very in close proximity with one another, like vocal music, marching band, mm. football, any of your fall sports, where again, masking may not be feasible, but yeah. we, and we have students in very close proximity and we can use that as a means to help catch a student early if they have been diagnosed as mm -hmm. positive and help keep the rest of the teammates and the, re the rest of their colleagues safe. And that goes for our teaching staff, our school personnel, 
for being able to not only test students, which is the focus of the grant, but also the cafeteria staff, the custodial staff, teachers, principals, mm -hmm. volunteers, or lay coaches. So um, we see this as a multi-pronged way of trying to catch something early. If a student mm -hmm. or a staff member was COVID positive, this would be a way to catch that. And it also allows for students who may be in quarantine yeah. to have access to a free test and be able to get back to school quickly with a, a negative test um, mid quarantine. And same goes for staff. So we really see this as a great help to parents because again, it's a free test and a real convenience for staff and for students alike. You know, you mentioned um, both sort of folks who are sick and maybe need to go out of school and maybe kids or, or uh, staff who are trying to come back. Um, my daughters had to quarantine for two weeks and just, you know, trying to make sure that they both got a test and could we get a test with results that came back fast enough. And, you know, we had to drive across town because there weren't a lot of spots and that kind of stuff. And I just think about, gosh, if if we could have just done that at school, what you were just describing, immediately I think we would just automatically, we could have gotten two extra days of school, which school days are so precious right now. I mean, we totally, I mean, I think all of us don't take them for granted anymore. And um, what a cool opportunity. Are you having a lot of districts opt in? I mean, this is still relatively new. Yes, this is a, the first year for this grant to be offered. And so it is taking us a little bit of time to get the word out. But we have, even in our last call, we do a, a weekly call here at the State Department of Education where we're able to talk to all of our districts and keep them informed. And even from the call from last week to this point, we've seen a, a pretty good increase in the number of districts that have expressed interest and already applied. In fact, it's a pretty easy application process and just requires the school to make a plan to test 10% of their student population each month. And included in that 10% of the student population, of course, students are the focus, but sure. um, you, if you had a school of 500, we would be looking for them to test 50 students each month, different students. And also in that, that 50 total, you could include all the personnel that I referenced before, custodial staff, cafeteria staff, your front office team, anybody that's having a lot of teachers, anybody having close contact with kids. We're talking, if I remember correctly, because I love to talk in millions of dollars. Um, what was it like $119 million uh, that was given to the state of Oklahoma for this program? So what are, is it, I mean, that's a lot of tests for $119 million. So is it more than tests? And then talk to us also a little bit about the benefits of doing surveillance with our population of our schools. Sure. So you're exactly right. It is a substantial grant, $119 million, but the grant awards for each of the districts are substantial as well. We decided to make that based on student enrollment for the district. So if you are um, a district of up to 500 students, that's a $50,000 award. And that goes all the way to um, from $50,000 to a million dollars. If you're a district, that's 15,000 students or more. And we did that because we see the need for schools to add additional staff like mm -hmm. contact tracers, 
-hmm. nurses, um, people to help with cleaning and custodial. And we're really trying to protect the classroom teacher role. And we know that many times when additional duties like this are added on to instruct, you know, to instruction, then right. that is a real taxing effort on the part of the teacher. And so we're right. trying to protect the principal, the counselor, the front office staff, and the teacher to be able to add additional personnel that focus on the mitigation and prevention of COVID and use these funds from the CDC to allow that to happen. So we really, it's a substantial amount of money, but it also will help fund those in very important critical positions that will keep instructional time and the instructional focus more sacred in the classroom and allow for expertise to be brought in from the medical community um, or from the mental health community to help give that necessary support that students and teachers and, and the whole school um, community is needing right now. Um, what are, um, you know, you had mentioned, you touched on earlier about the word random that might've given an impression that's not really correct or, are there concerns that you're coming up against that that you that you're are sort of common or universal that you want to address? Sure, I would say first of all, parents we're, parents are giving consent for their students to be tested. So this is not something where um, students are being forced to take the test, uh, COVID test. Neither are personnel, and so um, this is an opt-in testing. Mm -hmm. Again, not random could be on completely well people who just want to ensure that they yeah. do not have their confusing seasonal allergies versus COVID symptoms. And we're going to keep them from having to go to Walgreens and pay the $27 yeah. that my daughter just did as a student teacher. You know, she was worried. She kind of had this a little bit of a scratchy throat, a little bit of a cough, and she's a student teacher and wanted to ensure that she was not infecting her students. So yeah. we personally purchased several of these tests because um, her school hasn't gotten on, on board quite yet. This is early in the application process. Mm -hmm. But I saw firsthand, like you, you were talking about how it affected your family. I saw how it affected my daughter wanting to be so conscientious that she didn't infect her students. Mm -hmm. And so there was a chance that if her school would have been participating, she could have gone in, had a test, and then felt confident that she yeah. wouldn't be responsible for making her kids sick or any of her other colleagues. So is that opt-in window a specific window or can it be at any time uh, that a parent wants to choose to opt-in? Any time. So it could awesome. be that your child is placed in quarantine in November and you have a mm. need for that test. Yeah. Um, just as we had discussed earlier. So you go into school, sign that consent form, and then you're able to get that free test for your student. It, and I think that's Again, a great way to offer peace of mind. And it also allows us by making this part of an overall grant, we can use the funding to hire additional personnel that don't have to be, a, you don't have to be a nurse to give this test. It's a nasal swab. And yeah. if, you're, if you are a child that is 12 or over, you can self-administer the test. If you're below the age of 12, you need an adult's help, but it doesn't have to be a nurse. So yeah. the funds from the grant can help provide that necessary staffing to, again, keep the, the, the load off of the front office, off of if we're hopefully luck, lucky enough to have a school nurse already, mm -hmm. let her carry yeah. on with her very full plate 
that right. even prior to COVID and allow additional personnel to help fill in that gap. So for districts that maybe haven't had an opportunity to apply yet, um, how can they how can they get more info? How can they apply? How can they bring um, these resources to their schools? So we have um, a, a soft launch of the website. We are grateful to the Oklahoma State Department of Health and their collaboration with Saxum Communications. And they've created a website that's just right on the cusp of being launched. We'll have that linked to our Oklahoma State Department of Education website on our COVID-19 page. If you haven't already checked that out, there are a lot of resources, including an FAQ that we've created around this particular grant. There's an additional PowerPoint that we've utilized in a previous all district call, but we're doing, we've done everything we can uh, leading up to the launch of the website to kind of prime the pump for interest around this grant. And now you'll be able to go on the, the Oklahoma State Department website and, and get all of that information and some additional resources targeted both to parents and to teachers. Perfect. Yes, and surveillance helps us catch those um, potential infections early by, by testing students who are well and by testing staff who are well and just checking in and making sure that we um, are not in a situation where we're inadvertently passing on this virus to other people. But the, the exciting thing too is in addition to testing, we're giving schools the funding for personnel, but they can also use it for some other durable assets that I think will be a real help to them, not only right now, but in the future. We have really creative things that are happening. People are, port are buying some portable air filter filtration systems, and they're placing them in locker rooms and in classrooms and places where we don't get a lot of ventilation. Not many of our classrooms have windows that open and allow for that. So it by using this fund, you can purchase touchless faucets, touchless paper towel dispensers, keyless cool. entry. We're just trying to mitigate all of the times where we have a high touch environment where a lot of people have the potential of um, passing along this virus um, on a hard surface. And so if we can use some of the newer technology to try to address that, then we feel really excited about being able to, again, not only use it for the near term, but also this will these will be enduring improvements to the building that will keep us from passing along flu as well. So there are really creative things. Bottle fillers are as a, a new one that just oh, yeah. came out. Yeah. We're, we're seeing people think strategically about some of the needs that are some of the obstacles they've faced because of COVID and thinking about what would they do if they had those additional resources. And many of the federal funds that have come through through ARP are being focused on a more instructional mm -hmm. um, approach. And then this is allowing us to fill in some gaps on some of the other health and safety and cleanliness aims by using this fund, this grant fund as a, as a source of funds for that. So we're excited to be able to partner again with Oklahoma State Department of Health on this grant. Well, Dr. Dodd, you have just preached our narrative that we continue to talk about. It is about providing safe learning environments for our students and safe working environments for all of our school staff. And thank you again for being on the podcast with us. And we look forward to continuing this conversation um, as we go forward. Thank you. It was my joy. Well, let's just take some time and catch up with Catherine. Uh, 
what a great week of school. The weather's been nice. Uh, we're, we're moving into the weekend that you can take some time to just take some time to rest and relax and rejuvenate and recharge. Yes. And um, want to remind everybody of uh, the outstanding, we are hearing from teachers and aspiring educators across the state how, uh, how well received the professional development on, um, for the test prep, Carrie, on the OSAT and the OGET, yeah. that uh, we have university professors helping lead those uh, professional learning uh, sessions that, that we have that are virtually and <clears throat> that, that are not only on the subject area test, but also in the general knowledge test when it mm -hmm. comes to math and the writing component. And that we, you still can qualify if you're needing to take an OSAT, you can get half off of the uh, fee for that. Um, so it's a $120 test and you get yes. $60 off and you just, you get a code. And so you don't have to upfront the money. You just yes. put in the code. And I love, I love when I shop online and I get to put in a code and it just I, whoop, takes it I off. I love you know? a $60 code. <laughs> yeah. I want to find <laughs> one of those. So <laughs> yeah. So you know, it just like magic, it takes it off and it's so awesome. And then we have some additional, you know, we have this new series from our teaching and learning center um, that uh, on certain days, we're going to talk about knowledge in 90 and we're going to address issues around classroom management and things, how to, how to help your job, uh, that professional learning in your job. But then we also have another professional learning on, we call it Power Hour, where we talk about um, professional learning, personal learning around our association. So yeah. two, I want to I want to talk about October 21st. I'm going to go backwards in my date. So stay okay. up with me here. Okay. Um, October 21st is going to be our Knowledge in 90, and it's going to be on classroom management. And it starts at 4.30 at last uh, 90 minutes and it's free. It's free. But what we need you to do is to log on to okea.org slash PD. And it's one registration and you can click all the ones that you want to come to. Yeah. And then it will just automatically send you the Zoom information. They're virtual. So you can just jump on. We like for you to join in, join out, however you want to do it uh -huh. that, that meets your needs. And then um, the other one I really want to talk, oh, I'm so excited about this one. October the 5th in Power Hour is the history of our power, that we're going to be looking at our timeline of our organization. You know, Carrie, it always boggles my mind to know in 1989 that a group of teachers came together because they felt so strongly for public education. Wait, 1989? 1989. 1989. Did 19 I say June or August? 1989, over almost 130 years ago, right? So do you mean 1889? I did mean 1889. <laughs> and I'm I was like, we're still June. new. We're and still I'm new not, to this. And I'm not leaving June either, even though it's September. 1889. There it is. There it is. 1889 that a group of teachers came together. When? On Christmas Day. Yes. Why? Because it was the only day they had off. Which is crazy. I know. I know. And they probably didn't get to wear pants back then either. So. <laughs> yes. Fact. They probably couldn't be married. All the things. Um, and that was just in 1989. <laughs> yeah. But our, yeah. our history is fascinating. Yes. To know that we just didn't pop up 
right. 10, 15 years ago. Right. We have been around for over 130 years. You know, um, when I started working at OEA, I, I can I tell you that our executive director at the time, I heard him say one time in a meeting, every good thing that has come to public education is because of OEA. And I was like, that's dramatic and probably inaccurate, <laughs> but it's not, it's <laughs> true. When you look at when you look at the state mm-hmm. minimum, when you look at retirement, when you look at healthcare, when you look at bargaining, all the good stuff that has happened in public schools is because of the work of mm-hmm. this group of, of teachers and support professionals and administrators and everybody working together to make public schools better. So I'm going to go to that one. I'm going to listen in on that one. I'm pretty yeah. excited. Even though I've been here for several years, I I don't know. I just want to listen to it. Yeah. And it's our members. It's not yes. some building. It's right. not an no. elected leader. It is our members. Yes. Yes. And that's what makes it so cool. Doing all the good stuff, doing all the good things. Well, we want to say thank you so much to our guest today, Dr. Kathy Dodd, Chief Innovation Officer and Deputy Superintendent of Federal Programs for the State Department of Education, and the incredible, irreplaceable Bree Johnson, uh, who is a student at Edmond Public Schools, for joining us today. And we want to say thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope that you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.